0: society groups ahead of the olympics you're listening to the news on rthk
1: Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, stocks sell off, bonds soar, and gold rises sharply as U.S. and China growth fears wreak havoc on markets across the globe. In the markets, the S&P 500 dropped 2.3 percent. The Dow was down some 326 points. And the Nikkei has given up 263 points in the first few minutes of trade, down 1.8 percent. So we'll take a closer look at the markets in a moment. And our guests this morning include Alicia garcia Herrera chief economist for emerging markets at BBVA. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent in Washington. And Denise Jung, analysis editor for business at the South China Morning Post. Ms. Jung will address the question, what is the leading country for new investment dollars at the moment, China or the United States? But first, this little tease for this morning's program.
2: If you recall, like in December, when the Fed tapered unexpectedly, guess what? You know, stock market went up, rates went up, and EM actually held up very well. And that was because, you know, in December, people were relatively optimistic about growth. This time around, the stock market started to sell off into the Fed meeting, even though it was expected to continue to sell off, rates coming down, EM coming to trouble. I think it's a lot to do with people worry about U.S. growth slowing down rather than tapering per se.
1: That's David Wu, and he's a strategist at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And uh, if you look now at the markets in Asia, we do see uh, some torrid selling. Sold down 1.3%. Australia also down 1.3%. I mentioned the Nikkei was down 1.8%. Uh, the yen has strengthened considerably against the dollar. The dollar-yen now 101.16. Meantime, the euro is trading at 1.3525 U.S. dollars. The Australian dollar 87.47 U.S. Uh, cents. And the pound is now at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 66 cents. I and that gold was up. Gold rose pretty sharply in New York and is now just off a little bit here in Asia, $1,258.90. Okay, U.S. stocks first, selling off aggressively overnight after a weak U.S. manufacturing report that came on the back of of weak uh, manufacturing and services data out of China. Chris Rupke tracks the numbers uh, on the, the United States from Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi, UFJ.
0: December ISM, 56.5, and now in January, it collapsed 5.2 points to 51.3. We know, we know any number above 50 means the manufacturing economy is still expanding. That means upward. But this drop comes as quite a shock. He says, though, there were a few caveats. Auto sales were 15.3 million in December and seemed to be holding that level again in January. Ford is saying pickup truck sales fell in part due to the weather, which makes us wonder if this ISM manufacturing cliff dive economic stat was not impacted by the frigid temperatures last month.
1: So you got a lot of analysts saying that it could have been the weather. But some of the data, the economic data of late in the United States, has been weak. And as David Wu said at the beginning, the last thing you want is tapering to be going on when the economic reports are actually weakening. All but nine stocks fell in the S&P 500 index. The S&P 500 was down 2.3% at 1741. And that was the lowest close for that big, broad index since October. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 3. 26 at 15,372 and the Dow is down 7.3% this year so getting close to that 10% correction that a lot of people were were actually calling for and saying that they would be happy to buy at that point we'll see China's official purchasing managers index decreased to a 6-month low in January that latest report that came out output and orders slowed so back to David Wu he's head of currencies for Bank of America and he was asked if he's worried that the emerging market troubles will rebound on the United States.
2: To the extent that 50% S&P 500 earnings coming from abroad, given that, you know, EM is a much bigger share of world economy than it was 10 years ago, you have to believe that whatever's what going on in emerging markets in the U.S. not going to be able to escape
1: entirely. But he says the emerging market countries have imported a lot of serious problems for themselves. I personally think that, you know, five years
2: into, you know, QE by the Fed, the fact that emerging markets are, have imported US problems from five years ago is something that I think policymakers have yet to really come to accept. The fact is, you know, if you think about it, if you look across emerging markets, okay, most of them now have a housing bubble, they've got basically they've seen a the deterioration of their current account balance as a result of loss of competitiveness. Most of them essentially, I think I you mean, know, they look like the US from five years
1: ago. So that is David Wu from Bank of America. There was some good news out overnight. Yum! Brands beat profit estimates on gains, it said, from its international unit. Yum! Brands, of course, always looked at as a kind of barometer stock for China. And Facebook and Twitter rose even in the down market. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Liu has called on Congress to cooperate to address the debt ceiling deadline, which is coming at the end of this week. Mr. Liu said that so-called extraordinary measures could provide funding only until the end of the month.
0: Even though the House and Senate approved a budget and passed a bill to keep the government running, they did not yet provide the borrowing authority to pay for the spending commitments that they made. Last year, Congress passed a temporary suspension of the debt limit that lasts only through February 7th, which is the end of this week. After that, in the absence of congressional action, Treasury will be forced to use extraordinary measures to continue to finance the government. Let me repeat, in just a matter of days, the temporary suspension of the debt limit will end.
1: So that's the Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew. The VIX, the fear gauge on Wall Street, jumped 16% today to 21.44. And uh, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note fell seven basis points to 2.57%. We say good morning to our first guest this morning, Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent. Barry, good day to you.
3: Good morning to you, Brian.
1: So I don't know how many of those clips you heard there, but uh, David Ru really David Wu at the beginning uh, said, which I think makes a lot of sense, that, uh, you know, back in uh, the, the late fall, you had uh, the tapering getting started, but you had strong economic growth. And so the markets weathered that. Now, it looks like uh, at least a couple of the economic reports have been weaker. That creates a little bit of doubt. You've got the emerging markets, what they're going through and the tapering. And the tapering doesn't look so good through that prism. Is that the way you see it?
3: But but, um, I'm much more in that weather camp in terms of the weak data here in the States. You know, you're talking to someone who's been up in Michigan and Ohio in the last uh, two weeks. The weather's been absolutely severe. That's behind the auto sales decline in January. And I think that this is going to be seen in retrospect as a blip. I look at uh, emerging markets. Uh, There's this volatile flow of funds out. You know, they rushed in, now they rush out. And I think that's the episode that is driving the market right now.
1: And how is it exactly that emerging markets do rebound uh, to somehow hurt the United States?
3: Well, let me understand your question. How, does they, how do they rebound given the flight of capital out of their country? I'm sorry,
1: rebound is probably the wrong word. My, my question is the turmoil that you see in emerging markets for some of these countries that are quite small, do they have a strong impact on the United States?
3: Well, I think it does have an impact because, as we heard in one of those clips you just played, the United States uh, does rely a lot of corporate earnings on exports. So if we're going to see significant weakening in Brazil or in China or in Turkey, then that's going to impact United States companies at some stage. But I think probably this is overdone. I think the problem in emerging markets, Brian, is that some of the fundamentals are not particularly strong. Take South Africa, for example. They raised interest rates last week. Their currency is down 15%. It fell another 1% today. But there's a real fear about the country's government corruption and its attitude towards foreign investment. That's South Africa. The Brazilian situation, they've got capital controls. Their market is down sharply. I've got a feeling all of this is overdone, but we're right in the midst of it, and it's certainly not over yet.
1: The thing is that places like Mexico and South Korea are also getting swept up in all of this, and they don't have particularly bad fundamentals.
3: Well, that's true. And that's why I think you have to go back to 1997 when we had that Thai bot crisis in August of that year. I mean, there were a lot of countries that got hit in that tidal wave that had pretty good economic fundamentals. I don't think this is anything like comparable to that. But I do think that we're making the comparison so that uh, we haven't seen this kind of volatility. You, you mentioned the VIX, how that has skyrocketed. You can also look at the fact that uh, there is this currency devaluation. The danger I see in terms of currencies is that what if the big players, bigger players, start to devalue currencies to hold their own, and your part of the world would be a good place to look. But this is, um, let's say, a new episode that has a lot of dangerous elements.
1: There has been an interesting argument from the emerging markets that a lot of their turmoil has been caused by the at first easy money policies of the Fed and then the signals that the Fed would withdraw the funds. And you you see kind of an interesting debate. Are they you know, are they right in making these complaints or, you know, is the Fed right to say, look, you had a window of time to uh to fix your fundamentals and to uh take care of this or see when the tapering would would start and you only have yourselves to blame
3: well i lean towards the latter but boy this is an interconnected world and what happens in those emerging markets affects all of us i I, i'm not sure where this is headed um It it is true that any time interest rates start to rise, I mean, look at the Turks. They went way up in their interest rate last week, the South Africans, the Brazilians. That's going to slow growth. And when their currencies are going down at the same time, they're going to get inflation. So there's no doubt about it that the emerging markets, some of them, are going through the ringer. This is a very difficult phase. And I don't think there's anything that the Fed can do to help them out. I think if the Fed were to pause on the stimulative that has been going on, this, this would cause more concern about the irrationality or unpredictability of Federal Reserve policy. I it think is that I think it's precise. Brian, go ahead. The Fed has been very helpful to these countries over the last five years since the Lehman crisis of 08
1: the the fed is is by its own uh, stated intentions to be data dependent and yet everybody knows that they don't like to be seen as a day trader so i think that's one reason why markets are selling off because clearly you've seen a weakening of data perhaps as you say the weather you know is the main reason although you wonder the big move in the bond market on the 10 year treasury is that really weather related i mean you're buying a you're buying a you know a, an instrument that goes out 10 years and uh, the oh no, so you're of, right yeah. on that one, Brian. Yeah, but anyway, no, that's, let's get that's panic related. Let, let's let's get to the tenure in a minute. But but um, you know, the the problem is, I think if you're if you're a trader, is you see the Fed will not want to pause on the tapering because they'll look kind of herky jerky, and and yet you have seen this um, rather significant weakening of data, the uh, U.S. jobs report, and this latest manufacturing, and a, and a few, even the jobless claims have ticked up a bit, that, that makes uh, traders nervous
3: true, Brian, but uh, let me be an optimist on the U.S. Let's look at that employment data that's coming this Friday. I think it's going to be okay. Don't forget, we're headed towards probably something close to 3% growth by most forecasts for 2014 in the U.S. So I don't think it's fair to say that the U.S. is
1: weakening. But Barry, if you thought that uh, weather was bad in December, it was even worse in January. Shouldn't that, <laughs> shouldn't that have a big impact on jobs uh, in January, too?
3: Well, that's true. We'll have to see about that. No, it's severe. I I don't want to minimize it, and I shouldn't be laughing about that. But the fact is that um, the fundamentals, I think, in terms of a recovery have taken hold. If this is a correction in the equity market, people will be happy if it stops at 10%. We're very close to that, as you suggest. I do worry about the 10-year interest rate declining as And as fast as it has But we'll have to see I just think that this is um, Well, let's put it this way, Brian this is a heck of a way for Janet Yellen to begin her job as Federal Reserve Chairman.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, you wouldn't want to be in her shoes right now, uh, you know, even if um, they're pretty fancy ones. Uh, okay, Barry, uh, it could go on for longer, but we've got other guests coming up and an, an emerging market specialist as well. So I'll say uh, good day to you and thank you, and we'll talk again next week. We usually talk on a Monday, and we'll see you next Monday. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Let's uh, put a little bit of uh, emphasis on the emerging markets before we bring in our next guest. I'd like to get some comments now uh, from the emerging market, um, uh, emerging markets under pressure from Steve Bryce over at Standard Chartered. Uh, he's a little nervous about what's happening in EM.
0: Well, obviously we've seen a, a significant amount of the, the Thai unrest uh, being priced in already. I think, you know, I think the real key concern for, for Thailand as well as the rest of emerging markets is the backdrop uh, is not that favourable at the moment. So it doesn't really probably matter too much what goes on in Thailand. You know, if you've got uh, you know, the tapering going on in the States, uh, but probably more importantly what's going on in Turkey, uh, then it's going to be difficult for emerging markets, at least in the very short term, to, to do anything that looks, uh, looks good. He says on his book, they are not long emerging markets,
1: they are long the developed markets.
0: We're still, I mean, we're still underway to emerging markets versus developed market equities. Uh, you know, we still uh, like developed market equities, as we say. We don't believe that's going to be derailed by what's going on. Um, over a 12-month period, you're probably still going to see positive returns coming out of emerging market equities, um, but in the short term, you know, that weakness is likely to come through. We saw the Turkey Central Bank obviously doubling interest rates, or nearly doubling interest rates last week. That was a key, uh, a key turnaround point for them, but they've still probably got to go through some volatility. They've got a lot of short-term debt um, maturing over the next 12 months, it's going, uh, foreign debt, uh, that's going to keep uh, the, them on the back foot there. And what we've seen in recent times, obviously, is currencies around the emerging market world, including in Asia, uh, and even some of the currencies that had been seen as a lot less vulnerable, starting to weaken. The Korean one, for instance, uh, obviously seen significant weakness as well. So all of this adds to a picture where we've seen that contagion coming through. Certainly un- uh, not going to be a crisis, in our opinion, um, but that short-term weakness looks likely to continue.
1: right. so that's Steve Bryce at Standard Charter. We say good morning now to Alicia Garcia Herrero who's Chief Economist Emerging Markets at BBVA. Alicia, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Do you agree with that last guest uh, that there is not really a crisis in emerging markets at the moment, but there certainly are some troubles that need to be uh, dealt with?
4: I mean, overall I I would agree with that statement. I think, um, you know, it's not uh, imminent crisis to be seen anywhere. I mean, even if we look at countries like Brazil or India or, you know, even even Turkey, which would be perhaps the closest in terms of, you know, balance of payment uh, difficulties. I think we're still um, slightly far, I would say very far from, from, from you know, an ensuing crisis. I, I would Frankly, I would agree
1: with that. A lot of this seems to have uh, tumbled out of much slower growth in China and emerging markets are tied a lot to China, not least of which because uh, they provide a lot of uh, materials and commodities and those sorts of things. And if it's if it's slower going into China, then that impacts on them. Uh, You've been looking at supply chains and trade flows uh, quite a lot here of late. Uh, Does it look healthy in your view?
4: I think, you know, we are, the supply chains are here to stay. Actually, um, you know, we always think about supply chains in, in market markets, especially in Asia, although we also have a very important case in in, in for the U.S. Uh, and Mexico. But the largest supply chain, which has remained, even with, in the, with the horrible uh, European sovereign crisis, is basically Europe, where we have a lot of intra- Industry trade, so I think this is a model to stay. Now the question in Asia at this point in time is that we kind of have a, a much bigger role for one single country, which is China, in terms of final assembling and you know and distribution, than we actually have in Europe. So I think the fact that we have a, a bit, you know like a bottleneck, if you like, and in terms of you know accumulation of risk, et cetera, makes it a little bit shakier than elsewhere if something were to happen in China. But I think they're
1: here to stay. You see growth slowing in China, the currency's stronger, the wages have gone up a lot. And I was talking to somebody yesterday who said uh, Bangladesh is 10 times cheaper Than China. Now you think about that: ten times for labor, ten times at the lower end, cheaper than China. Vietnam five times cheaper than China. That does uh, cause a lot of ructions. uh, People moving around their manufacturing fast to try to take advantage of that.
4: Yeah, there is. Of course, this is true for uh, low value added manufacturing, and the clearest case for the countries you've mentioned is, of course, textile. Um, But you also need, you know, when you move up the scale, even in in that very very specific sector textile, you also have to think about, you know, just-in-time production, even different uh, fashion um, waves, etc., which makes it very important to have the right uh, uh, hard infrastructure, especially logistics and and ports, etc., and even the soft infrastructure, meaning, you know, design experts, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's going to take a while. Um, I think the, the lower end will move out um, because it might be even as difficult to produce in West China in terms of its logistics and access to ports for the time being than than elsewhere. So, in you know, when we move lower, the lowest end possible, and I think textile is the best example, um, it, Yes, there there is already, and I think you know we already see this happening. But when we when we move higher up, I think that's where you know the Bangladeshis of the world um, will need to change dramatically before they can compete. But there are other countries out there. I mean, as we know, for electronics, uh, the Philippines is doing very well. Um, so you know you just have to take other examples of countries which may be competing on on that front, um, and Taiwan is also a country that can actually be reindustrialized uh, in the sense that a lot of the investment now in China may come back to the to the island so yes, there are other competitors for other higher end um, sectors
1: so alicia i couldn 't ask this question to Barry because he 's just a journalist like me but um, should should investors uh, be Comforted by you know some of the um, uh, some of the, the money coming out of markets and, and giving us a little bit cheaper prices and you know some of the uh, puff being blown off the top uh, and the froth blown off the top should they be rather comfortable with what's happening here and and maybe start looking at emerging markets maybe even looking at the developed markets after this big sell off.
4: Yeah, I mean, this is that. Frankly, you're absolutely right. I think there's some energy markets out there that are very sound, still sounder than that many developed countries that are now receiving lots of inflows. I mean, we can't forget that Europe today is actually receiving lots of import inflows, capital inflows, which they they weren't receiving only a year ago. Yeah. So, so there's lots of waves in here now. The question is how to pick the right country I would not move into indices, you know, general indices because the truth is that those countries that are being more affected are not only the countries that have the worst fundamentals. Some are, but some aren't.
1: So you've got to be but those
4: with with more liquidity. So you know, you want to choose countries that maybe are not as apparent so that the liquidity effects of all of these moves don't affect them
1: as much. So if they don't have a trade deficit and they don't have a fiscal deficit, they might be a lot safer. Okay, thanks very much, Alicia. Alicia Garcia Herrero, Chief Economist for the Emerging Markets BBVA. Yes, we got the Nikkei down 418 points. Uh, Australia, the market there down 1.5% and sold down 1.3%. So maybe it's a bit early for red wine, but you might think of a Bloody Mary, <laughs> as I had yesterday morning about uh, this time watching the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, my team got swamped. Um, So the Bloody Mary came in handy. Anyway, we say good morning to Denise Jung, the analysis editor for business at the South China Morning Post. Denise, great to have you back on the program. Yeah. So I kind of build this at the beginning as the best country for new investment dollars. Is it the United States or is it China? You had a piece on this. What are you hearing?
5: Well, I heard two opposite views um, on this subject. But what uh, happened was just last week, um, o- Obama said in a State of the Union uh, speech that uh, the U.S. now became the world's number one investment destination, and China no longer it is. Um, and then I think he cited uh, some businessmen saying that um, this is the case. What he cited was 80 Kearney's survey, um, and but then we found out two other. Equally um, prominent survey said the opposite, that the U.S. actually ranked number 14th after yeah. Ireland by Forbes and New Report in the best country to do business. And the other survey that by Milken Institute saying, well, the U.S. was even worse in, at 22nd and after Hong Kong, which is number one. So then I talked to some people, uh, economists, consultants, and even academics. They have two camps of uh, views. Well, the first camp is about the supporters. Most of them are in the U.S. So they think, you know, um, the U.S. now have cheaper energy, more jobs falling back to the manufacturing sector. And... um and and then they, uh, the so economy- the, the
1: horizontal uh, drilling and uh, yeah. the fracking getting at uh, gas and oil in shale, um, shale they gas. cite that as uh, good reason for going forward
5: exactly and uh, and Obama even said that um, the U S produces more oil than it imports in you know, over twenty years so it just makes it more attractive to invest however some um, opponents were saying this is not the case because um, cheap energy is not the only factor in determining more investments.
1: And and what do they cite uh, in those people who say that it's actually China that's the better investment uh, destination?
5: Well, I think people do have faith in the supply chain development in the Pearl River Delta that has taken China more than 30 years to develop. So whatever manufacturing activities you found in Dongguan or in Guangdong, they're well supported by logistics networks or these um, uh, peripheral industries.
1: Are we at a turning point in some uh, way in that uh, you now see that labor is not so cheap in China? And so if there's more there than cheap labor, then they will um, flourish. But if there isn't, Then they will sink.
5: Well, um, or is
1: that just too simple?
5: Well, this is true. Somehow, wages in China has gone up so much, at at an average thirteen percent a year. Um, But still, um, this is where the skills are, and especially um, for the high-end industries. You know, um, more companies are turning automation. Um, Some. Economists I talk to they they argue that China has got uh, cheaper still cheaper wages than the US oh, yes. but the productivity is still higher. However, for the a US. top
1: manager, yeah. I was talking to a guy the other day, a different guy than the other guy I just mentioned, who said that he his top manager in Beijing, he pays 170,000 US dollars a year, PhD, thinks that he gets better value out of her and that's about what he would pay somebody in that area in the US. So at the high end it's not that much difference.
5: Oh yes, yeah.
1: For a manager of uh... Okay, so um what are some of the other metrics that people look at? Uh, energy, obviously, one thing. Great supply chains in China, another uh, for China. What about, um, are people worried about uh, a bubble that may have developed in either property or in uh, shadow banking?
5: Yes, uh, I think China itself has got its own problems. And people do concern about this um, uh, ballooning problem of the local government debts, and that have been. Uh, pestering the country for the past three years. And then um, another factor is the um, aging population in China, that people feel that there's no no longer, um, the that will come into the market for these uh, blue colour jobs. And then um, the stock market wasn't doing good, and the yuan has keeps appreciating. So these are not favourable factors for investments.
1: Okay, Denise, uh, very interesting. Wish I gave you more time. It seems to always go that way, but uh, we'll have more time later to talk again. Denise Zhang, everybody, the analysis editor for business at the South China Morning Post. The market's uh, down today. A big drop for the Nikkei Dow 418 points down now, 2.9%. So quite a sell-off we see. Be interesting to see how long this uh, stays with us. So all the markets down between 1% and 3% here in Asia. Weather-wise today, cloudy with relatively low visibility. And we might see some rain today. First time in quite a while. Maximum temperature look 21, so still quite warm. Moderate to fresh east of the wind strong at times. The outlook, windy and cloudy with a few rain patches in the next couple of days. Money for nothing at 8.30. Uh, 8.31, let's get the latest in
0: news with Etienne Lame-Smith. The United States Treasury Secretary has warned that the government could start defaulting on its obligations very soon unless Congress lifts its limit on how much money the government can borrow. Jack Liu said Washington will start reaching the debt ceiling on Friday when a current suspension on the debt limit is scheduled to run out. Mr Liu urged Congress to act quickly to extend borrowing. Without borrowing authority, at some point very soon it would not be possible to meet all of the obligations of the federal government. Given these realities, it's imperative.